Welcome to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the Broadmoor Baptist Church of Baton Rouge podcast.
how many of you are surprised to see me standing here this morning. <laughs> then you didn't read the newsletter, which is a good thing, or you might have decided to skip worship today. And I'm really glad you're here. Um, there has been no hijacking of the pulpit, uh, though some of you who know me well probably were thinking that. Dr. Ezell is on vacation and asked if I would preach for him. Now, if you're new to Broadmoor, here in the sanctuary or online, we are a cooperative Baptist fellowship church. Our kind of Baptist ordains women and, yes, welcomes them to preach. Nevertheless, no one is more surprised that Janet Pace is preaching at Broadmoor today than me. Let's pray. Let's still our minds and hearts. Heavenly Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable unto thee. Amen. Now, if you ever needed a visual of God using ordinary people, you would need look no further than me. How does a mom of four children who grew up in this church, a grandmother of five, two of whom are in this church, qualify to stand in this pulpit? The short answer is, Dr. Ezell asked, so here I am. More about that later. Now, before you think our church has totally gone off the rails, or if you're the type that requires credentials, I will tell you that I'm a commissioned minister with Volunteers of America. Volunteers of America is not only a faith-based faith nonprofit, it's also a Christian church, a church without walls, and staff are able to become ministers through a defined course of study that includes time at Duke Theological Seminary. It's never intended to take the place of our local churches. The ministry of VOA is service to the most vulnerable in our communities, our homeless, veterans, those with behavioral health issues, abused and neglected children, individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities, and more. You know the type Jesus loved and told us to minister to? That's our passion, that's our mission, and I am honored and humbled to serve as the president and CEO of our Greater Baton Rouge affiliate. In 2016, I went through ministerial training and was commissioned in uh, April 2017. And this is our stole. I'm going to put it on. Isn't it pretty? Y'all can see it too because y'all never get to see anything. I will hopefully undertake the next step, ordination, in 2020. And as a Baptist church that blesses women to the ministry, and as my own local church, I will cover it. Your, your prayers. But God uses ordinary people every day. The reality is that our lives are never a direct line to an end goal. Take me, for instance. I came to this calling, this service, in fits and starts, unexpected detours and turns, no doubt put there by God. I have degrees in journalism and political science and a master of, of public administration. And if you had told me when I graduated college that at 59, I'd be leaving, leading a so, social service agency with 375 employees, I would have laughed at you. I wanted to be a foreign correspondent. That was going to be a lot more fun. <laughs> but that is God's sense of humor and life in the spirit, blowing where it wishes, surprising us along the way. In reality, my story is probably not much different than yours, and definitely no different than what God asks of each one of us. Let that sink in, what God asks of each one of us. And, but if you want to know the truth, I'm more of a Jonah than a Samuel. Um, and it's very appropriate that both our names start with J. <laughs> Y'all may remember the story of Jonah. Uh, when God called Jonah, 
he went the exact opposite direction in trying to get as far away from Nineveh and God as possible. God was not dissuaded. God is persistent. God has a mission, a plan, and evidently a person for every job. Now, I've been known to ignore or try to reason my way out of what I felt God calling me to do. Have you? Um, we need look no further than how I ended up standing here today. Uh, Dr. Ezell innocently sent me a text asking how my ministry was going, how I was doing in the sermon department. And like a fool, I responded, and, and I had just delivered the Monday morning worship service at our national conference. And so I responded and said how I thought it was, it, God had really used my message. I thought it touched a lot of people. And then he asked if I would preach today. Now, the best excuse that I used in that text exchange was, have you asked the deacons? <laughs> my reasoning was, surely you wouldn't want me up here, um, but here I am. Now, I also gave God a lot of excuses. Um, I'm, you know, they, who could possibly care what I have to say? Um, our numbers will be down. Uh, surely there's someone more qualified. Again, why am I standing here this morning? The Bible is full of examples of God using ordinary people. God seems always to call the flawed and least expected. Think about the paragons of our faith and all they accomplished. Samuel, Jeremiah, Moses, David, Ruth, Elizabeth and Zechariah, Mary, the disciples. Yet they all had humble beginnings, many just young people when they were called, minding their own business when God called them. God used them just as they were. Samuel was just a boy, about 12 years old. The Bible tells us he did not know the Lord. But while he did not know God was calling him, he demonstrated an openness because every time God called, he said, Here I am. And when Eli finally instructed him that it was God calling, he said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Just like uh, Samuel, Jeremiah was also a young man when he was called. He tells God he can't do it because he is young. He makes excuses that he thinks are all great reasons, the same excuses we make today. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm too busy. I've done my time. I can't speak in public. But God doesn't buy his arguments. He doesn't say, oh, Jeremiah, you're right. Thank you. I never thought about that. I'll go find someone else. He doesn't do that. Moses was living in the desert, living in exile as a murderer, a murderer running from his past, Yet God called him to deliver a nation. Moses was not a gifted speaker. He says, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. To which God replied, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. In other words, you think I don't know that? If I can create the ability to speak, surely I can put some words in your mouth too, Moses. But Moses, instead of, and, and God, instead of saying, I'm sorry, Moses, you're right, God says, I'll give you a partner. He you lead, he'll speak, you'll make a great team. So there goes Moses back to Egypt, the place he had run from, a prodigal son returning home. David was only a young boy, a shepherd boy, when he faced down a giant with five smooth stones and a slingshot. He was the youngest of eight brothers who were soldiers on the front line against the Philistines. He had merely come to check on them when God, he heard Goliath taunting the Israelites. Now, no one can blame the soldiers or King Saul for discounting David, but David had such faith in God, 
He knew God could accomplish whatever he wanted regardless of his limitations. And God did. David defeated Goliath and became king of a nation. And Ruth, a Moabite, enemy of Israel, a widow, how does she qualify to be part of God's plan? Nevertheless, she became the ancestor of King David and finds herself in the genealogy of Jesus and without ever hearing a specific word from God. And in the New Testament, there's Elizabeth and Zechariah. She was barren, probably the worst thing that could happen to a woman back then. It meant your family line ends. Plus, she was an older woman when the angel told her she was pregnant. Her husband did not believe, and so God struck him mute for nine months until their son John's birth. Nine months, barren, old, a disbelieving spouse. Yet God called them to be the parents of John, a zealot in the desert proclaiming Christ's coming. Such an important child that in Mark's gospel, he leaves out the Christmas story and begins with John. And of course, Mary. Mary was a young woman. Some say she too, like Samuel, was about 12 years old. She'd be in the sixth grade today. Does God call children? Not only does God call children, but God can make them the mother of the Savior of the world. And can God call women? In the words of William Sloan Coffin, if a woman could carry the word of God in her womb, then surely a woman can carry the word of God in her mouth. This is Mary, who would barely be out of our children's ministry and in our youth group, and she's chosen to be the mother of Christ, an unwed teenage mother, scandalous. But God calls flawed people and dysfunctional families. And finally, those 12 disciples, a motley crew at best. There was nothing spectacular about any of them. Fishermen and a tax collector, quite ordinary people, not esteemed in their society. Now you think if Jesus wanted to get something done, he would have picked some priests, some scribes, and maybe a handful of lawyers, right? Qualified people. But ironically, these turn out to be the people Jesus had the most trouble with, the antagonists of his parables. And if Jesus needed influence and power, some trustees for his church, maybe Jesus should have included a Roman emperor or a governor in his inner circle. But no, Jesus specifically calls quite ordinary people. The most amazing thing about God's call is that we're not called to do this alone. There are no lone rangers in ministry. But the pastor and the deacons and the church office, none of these are called to serve God for us. We don't get to subcontract our part, out our part of the Great Commission. We don't get to pay someone else to do our part. God needs each of us, our strengths and weaknesses, our wealth and our poverty, our experience and our youth, our experience and our youth. God gives us what we need at the exact moment we need it. Nothing more, nothing less. And guess what? You don't have to have a budget or even a line item in the budget to minister. In fact, when Mark sent out those disciples two by two, they were not allowed to take a credit card or get a, a check from the church office. They could only take the clothes on their back, the sandals on their feet, and a staff. They were to trust in God, and they did. They went out and taught and ministered and healed, all for God. But lest we think our call for service will make us popular with people or that people will like us and life will roll merrily along, stop and think about Samuel. When God called, it was for a very specific task, a very unpopular task. God asked him to relay a troubling message to the one person he loved most, Eli. 
Imagine a 12-year-old boy delivering a word of judgment to a long-standing priest in the house of the Lord at Shiloh. How intimidating that must have been. But we're told in Samuel, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. God had his back. God was with Samuel every step of the way. The same for Jeremiah. When Jeremiah was called, God told him, oh, by the way, they're not going to listen to you. Now, knowing that you're going to reject everything you're going to say up front would be a little intimidating and a little disheartening. But Jeremiah did the best he could because God told him in Jeremiah 1, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Young, apprehensive Jeremiah needed help. And so he tells us, The Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. And Moses, who had trouble speaking, God gave him his brother Aaron to be his wingman. Even after God told Moses he would give him the words to speak, he said, Pardon your servant, Lord, but please send someone else. He just didn't get it. And so God sends Aaron. And he says, you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. Clearly, God doesn't take no for an answer. And God gives him what he needs when he needs it. Now, most of us will never claim a great place in history like Samuel, Jeremiah, Moses, David, Mary, or even Jonah. We do our jobs. We raise our families, we care for our homes, and we go to school. Anything to get to the weekend. But God wants more for us than a paycheck. And God wants more from us than an offering check. God wants us all in. Ordinary people with our extraordinary God. So why don't we answer? Why don't we say yes? When God calls, maybe we're like Samuel, and we don't understand that God is calling us at first. Or maybe we make excuses like Moses and Jeremiah. Or maybe we run away like Jonah. I'm too shy. I'm not educated enough. I don't have the proper training. My family needs me. Maybe next year when I'm not so busy. God isn't buying it. When I began this morning, I told you the short answer to my being up here was that Dr. Ezell asked. When the Ezells came to minister to our church, I felt God calling me to support this young family in any way I could. There are many others here who have made that same commitment. Over the past eight to 10 years, we're, we've become a church in transition. I believe that Dr. Ezell is just what our church needs at this exact moment in time. But it's not for him to do alone. Our deacons cannot do it alone. Our church trustees cannot do it alone. It's going to take each one of us. When I look around this sanctuary, I see immense promise. Our church needs each of us right now. We need to get off the sidelines out of any complacency we may have. Our church needs our time and talent to invest in growing this church. By the way, someone among us reminded our Wednesday morning book study recently, we have been 250 in worship before. We've been only 50 before. And yet we were excited about what we were becoming. 
and what God was doing with us. And then we were 500 in worship. May we trust in God, be open to the Spirit, and risk something for his kingdom. So what is God calling us to do? Well, first, God wants you to have a personal relationship with him. And if you do not, our staff and our deacons will be happy to speak with you about it today. But what else is he calling us to do? To be excited about Broadmoor Baptist, to attend regularly, to invite our neighbors and friends, to extend ourselves to the neighborhood around this church, to make our visitors feel welcome, to make our new members feel included in our activities, to let everyone we know about our unique and loving church, a church of fellowship, a church on a mission. What excuse do you have? Remember, you don't have to have enough faith to make it happen, just enough faith to answer the call. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thanks for tuning into They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the Baltimore Baptist Church of Baton Rouge podcast. Please like, review, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. If you have any questions, please submit them through the Anchor app. Or join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. right in our own Broadmoor Baptist Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Otherwise, I hope you have a good week.